listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. about everything pertaining to the physicality of a guitar. Guitar building, guitar repair, guitar maintenance, guitar parts, guitar tools, and guitars in general. Basically guitars. Podcast about guitars. My name is Eric Daw. The show is called The Fret Files. Joining me now, as always, is my lovely wife, Melissa. Good morning, everyone. Say hello, everyone. Or evening. Say good morning, everyone. Whenever you are listening, hello. Ships at sea, <laughs> whether you're in Guam, coast to coast, and or yes, exactly, exactly, east of the Rockies, west of the Rockies, or under the Rockies, wherever you are, beneath the Rockies. Good morning, good evening, and good day. Uh, you know, I've had a ton of really good questions submitted to the podcast, and I just really want to thank everybody for participating. I was so worried when I started this show. Because, um, I mean, I wanted to do kind of a question-based podcast. I was so worried that nobody was going to submit questions. And really, from the first episode, well, the first few episodes, I actually had to uh, record actual real customer phone calls that I was getting at Emerald City Guitars, where I work as a uh, uh, as their guitar repair specialist over there. And uh, I was recording some of the calls that would come in, and then with their permission, using them for the podcast. I don't do that anymore because I get plenty of material for the show from the listeners, and I really appreciate your participation and uh, really encourage you to keep it up. Submit your question to the podcast by going to ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send in your question. It's as easy as that. Or you can call the show by calling, leaving a voicemail, calling 757-774-8482. You can also text that number, and we also accept smoke signals. Or uh, pigeon, carrier pigeons. Pigeon, homing pigeon, also work. Yep. Yes. Yeah. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. I was talking to the listener, though. Oh. Not really. <laughs> Thanks. We're just fresh back from vacation, and boy, we no. feel so rested and relaxed. <laughs> Everything went so perfectly. If you have ever seen <laughs> National Lampoon's Vacation, that describes our weekend. That was actually um, that was actually very mild compared to how our vacation went. Oh, it was bad. It was. It was pretty bad. Have you ever taken a worse vacation? Mm, no. No, I haven't. My goodness. Well, see, it was it was Eric's birthday. Eric's birthday yep. was on the 9th of February. Yep. 
Congratulations, Eric, Thanks. for reaching another year. It's the oldest, the I've, oldest I've ever been. Wow. Uh, so we decided to take a little trip to the coast, and it turned out to it not, was a disaster. not be that fun. You got really sick, and... And the car door latch broke. St- stopped so. working. I had, to, I had to tie a rope to the car door to keep it shut. And every time we turned right, the car door would open. <laughs> it, keep in it, mind, it was, we have a one-year-old yeah. in the backseat. The worst storm of the, basically the worst storm of the season was, so just before we went, the weather was uncharacteristically warm. It was beautiful. Just after we got home, the weather was unseasonably warm. While we were there, worst storm of the season. Pineapple Express. I mean, it was unreal. Uh, You know, and the car door won't work because it's like flapping in the breeze. There's literally like a monsoon coming down on us, and, and I am so the, sick. I can't. I can't even get off the. Well, couch. not now. Not right now. Well, not right now. But I mean, or are you? Are you sick right now? Well, I. I don't feel sick. Do I look sick? No, you look fine. Okay, thanks. But while we were on vacation, you yes, were sick. Yeah, I was it was so bad. sick. I've never se- actually seen you that sick. That was pretty rough. Sorry. You were sick enough that you, like, just disappeared. You're like, okay, bye, <laughs> and you know. I had to go check on you. I'm better now. Yeah, you're better now. That was rough. And our our little boy would not sleep. So we didn't get any sleep, didn't get any rest. We couldn't go to the really couldn't go to the beach at all cuz of this storm. And I'm standing out there in the pouring rain trying to fix a car door. And the house we were staying at had a life-size pirate hanging from the ceiling too. Well, yeah. That I mean, that wasn't really part of the bad no, vacation. It was, but it was an early clue, though. Yeah, it was like the, the cherry on top. A life-size... Pirate. Was he like paper mache? What was he, wax? I don't know. We're getting I mean, way off base statue. here. Nobody cares. He's nobody, hanging on a rope from the ceiling. Nobody, nobody cares. Why did we... T- you know, I listened to our last show before we did this show because I wanted to, you know, kind of get a baseline for where we're at here, right? And... uh we talked for about 10 minutes at the beginning of the show about, like, my mom. <laughs> I don't even have any idea what this podcast is about. 10 minutes in, we haven't talked about a guitar yet. Well, we're getting there. Now we're like six minutes in, and we've all we've talked about is... Uh, hey, I have a, I have a guitar-related thing to bring up what? here. Um, we had a bet going the last, the last oh, podcast. Oh, yes. And uh, I would like to uh, settle that bet. Who won? Well, it depends on... Let's set some ground rules. Okay. So the bet was, it was about the uh, 1954 Gibson Les Paul that... Owned by Les Paul. Owned by Les Paul. It was the Les Paul custom prototype is what it was. Yeah. Uh, It went up for auction February 19th. Today is what the twenty first or something. Yeah, I something. Don't know. It's a few it, days after. It's a few days after we looked it up. It went for three hundred and thirty five thousand dollars, which correct. is more than I thought it would go for. Yes. So, if you recall correctly, we said, "Yeah." As the I, official Fret Files, yeah, podcast, we said two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and then we said, "Eric thinks less than two hundred fifty. Melissa thinks more." I think that it. At some point, you said four hundred thousand. Yeah, you said you said four hundred thousand or up, and I said probably closer to two fifty. No, you said one twenty. I might have said that initially, but I think by the end of it, we decided that you 
You said it was going to go over 400,000. Right? Anyway, I won the bet. No, I think that I won the bet. So, you know how it works on the prices, right? Okay. If you if you go over the price, but then you lose. We didn't set this ground rule before we started. So, well, I thought that it, everybody knew that That's you can't not how go this over. Works. So, All right, I'm just kidding. Actually, what we said was I said that it would be under 250 you said it would be over 250 right by the end of it that's what we agreed right i think so and yeah. it sold for three hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars. that's correct all right so you win awesome. I, be, I begrudgingly admit that you win the bet thank you so for my loot for my winnings i uh would like you to make me belgian waffles with strawberries and whipped cream please wow Okay. Can I have some? No. I just have to make them for you. And then you, you <laughs> and have then, to watch me eat them. Oh, my God. This is rough. <laughs> Let's read some questions. Fine. <laughs> we get letters. We get snacks and snacks of letters. Okie dokie. Question number one. Here we go. Hi, Eric. I am considering buying or setting up a guitar for playing slide. Something with at least a neck pickup. I'll list a few things I'm considering, and I would appreciate your thoughts and any experience you may have to offer. Your thoughts on an acoustic versus electric string tension for playing slide and slide setups? Any tips for slide guitar setups? High action? I am kind of attracted to those 40s New Yorker archtop acoustics with rosewood bridge and with the F holes so you can have a neck pickup. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on these guitars and which neck pickup pickup would be best suited? Mm-hmm. Any solid body or hollow body type electric guitars or features in certain guitars you recommend or stay away from the, in this application? Mm-hmm. I realize there is a lot of personal preference, but I'd be curious yeah. to know your playing and repair setup experiences in this a- arena. Thanks, mm. Zach. Oh, yeah, Zach. My buddy, Zach. Nice. He just lives down the street. He's a pretty cool guy. I know. Actually, I have two buddies that live down the street named Zach. Wow. I know. Do they know each other? Well, I don't think so, and only one is a guitar player. Oh, uh, slide playing. He's considering buying a guitar specifically for playing slide. Well, have you considered a resonator? I mean, that really is, when I think of a s- slide guitar, that's what I like. That's what I prefer. And, uh, um, you like the, I, I know you said you like the archtop acoustics with the F holes. Well, you know, a resonator kind of gives you that vibe as well. You you might like that. I mean, they've got the little F holes, and I don't know. I like a biscuit cone resonator for slide, but that's just me. I I, I could play. I'll play slide on any guitar, really. But um, let's see. He says your thoughts on electric versus acoustic string tension for playing slide and slide setups. Yeah, uh, higher action is better for slide. Um, it's uh uh. Definitely something that helps to use a, a heavier string. I like flat wounds for playing slide. And like you said, a lot of it is personal preference. And a lot of it is um, depending on, you know, how much slide you're going to play, if you're only going to play slide, or if you're also going to finger notes as well. Like most people, you know, it, it use kind of a combination of slide and finger picking, so um, or fretting notes. 
but yeah, a little higher action, a little heavier string, maybe even flat wounds. Um, and gosh, any guitar will work, so it's really personal preference, but I, for slide, I like Dan Electros, and I like uh, Resonators, like Dobro, National, whatever, you know. Cool. But more Biscuit Cone than Spider Cone. Spider Cone's got a different sound. I like biscuits more than spiders, too. <laughs> I thought you would. Thank you for the question, Zach. All right, next question. Hi, Eric. Your podcast was recommended by the Fretboard Journal, and I am so glad it was. Woohoo! Yeah. I really enjoy the great no-nonsense information and inspiration you provide. Really? I feel like there's a lot of nonsense. <laughs> that's, that's precisely what I was just thinking. <laughs> Uh, I know you can subscribe on iTunes, but I was wondering for all those Android users and other potential Apple bashers, Hmm. have you considered using other podcast rebroadcasters like Stitcher? Have you ever heard of Stitcher? I've never heard of it. No, I've never heard of Android. Oh. No, I'm kidding. What's Apple? Uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Finish his question. Yeah, sorry. Uh, got a few questions brewing about some guitar tinkering, but I'm going to wait until I get through the past episodes first. He's listening to all your episodes. Yeah, sweet. That's awesome. Cheers, Paul. Paul, thanks for the question. I really, you know, I have to admit, I'm when it comes to podcasts and technology and computers, man, I don't know what I'm doing. It's a miracle that this podcast is is reaching you because it's only through the help of a friend of mine, uh, Michael Van Dieven, who owns ufoship.com, where there are a few podcasts, kind of a podcast network. It's really only through his help that I'm able to do this. I have no idea about uh, podcast re- rebroadcasters like Stitcher or for Android. I, I really don't know. I'll, I can ask uh, Michael for you and... Uh, Maybe I'll have uh, an update about that uh, next show. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I think that he's a big Android fan, and I think that he uses uh, something over uh, there on ufoship.com. To, I mean, I, all you need is the RSS feed, I think. So if you go to uh, fretfiles.com or ufoship.com, either link gets you to my podcast and you use the RSS feed, I think you can use any kind of um, pod-catching software you want. I mean, whether it's iTunes or, uh, you know, there's a, yeah, there's a million of them, I guess. I really don't know. I could be talking way out of turn here. I know about guitars. <laughs> That's why we're here. <laughs> Not podcasts. It's actually a miracle that this podcast happens. I mean, you should see how we've got our microphones set up right now. It's ridiculous. It's, yeah. Uh, next question? Yes, please. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Thank you, Paul. Paul. Hi, Eric. I love your show. I've played guitar my entire life, but now at 60, I'd love to learn some simple guitar repair and setup. I teach beginners, and I get cranky at all the poorly set up guitars, which make learning difficult for beginners. As a topic for your show, could you suggest ways to learn basic guitar setup and maintenance? I'd like to be able to cut new nuts, bridges, and some basic fret maintenance. Which tools should I invest in first? Are there good texts you can recommend? Thanks for any help you can offer. Regards, Steve. And uh, Steve, it says, is an Australian but living 
on a yacht in the Mediterranean. So really, Steve, I should be asking you for advice yeah. because that sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, whatever you've done in your life to put you there, you live on a yacht in the Mediterranean. That's awesome. Maybe you could tell me how to get there. Yeah. Do eventually. you have a podcast we yeah, can listen really. to? Really? Yeah. Really. Help me. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I share your frustration because so many, you know, it's really a problem. So many beginners buy an entry level guitar and get discouraged because playing that guitar is so hard. Well, the reason it's so hard to play is because no one has taken the time to set it up properly. So the strings are five times higher than they should be. The fret edges are sharp. I mean, no bargain guitar is going to be set up properly off the shelf. You have to take it to a technician or a luthier uh, or a repair person to set it up properly so that you can play it and learn on it. I mean, the nut is always too high. The action's always too high. This, I'm, It's always. You never find a beginner guitar that's set up properly. Um, they just don't have... Uh, there's. It's not worked into the price, you know, to be able to do that. They don't do it at the factory. They don't really do it at the store. Some stores offer a first free setup or a, or will set it up for free, so... But right out of the box, it's going to be set up poorly. So I share your frustration. I understand. And if you, out there on your yacht in the Mediterranean, (laughs) out there on your yacht in the Mediterranean, uh, which sounds awesome, uh, what I would do would be to buy a few books. One being Dan Erlewine's Guitar Player Repair Guide. Dan Erlewine. It's E R. L-E-W-I-N-E. And uh, Dan Erlewine works hand-in-hand with Stu Mac. Dan Erlewine is a legendary guitar repair guy. And he's written a few books. The one that I recommend is the Guitar Player Repair Guide. And also, he offers some uh, DVDs through Stuart McDonald about guitar repair. So you can buy the... fretting dvd and he shows you how to fret guitars or i've never seen the dvds myself but i've i've heard that they're really good i do have his book and it's excellent so um i would recommend getting a um uh the book by dan erlewine and i would recommend getting a catalog from Stuart mcdonald uh Stuart mcdonald is a is a uh, guitar repair luthier uh supply uh, place that sells tools and supplies, and just looking through that catalog can be an education for someone who's just getting into it because um, it's almost overwhelming how many tools there are, and most guys are only going to use about a quarter of the tools that are in there. They really want to sell you a whole lot of gimmicks, a whole lot of tools you don't really need, but it's an eye opener, and in the back, they have DVDs for sale about how to do certain things. So you could buy the DVD about how to make a nut from scratch or about how to refret a guitar or, or basic fret work. So that's what I would recommend checking out. Steve, thanks for the question. Uh, what about, he, he asked specifically what tools should he invest in first for cutting new br- nuts, bridges, yeah. and basic fret maintenance. Yeah, that's um, that's covered in Dan Erlewine's book, uh pretty extensively uh-huh. like with the tools you should buy the basic tools you need are going to be um uh uh 
slot cutting tools for nuts. Um, basic fret tools would be a, uh, uh, a fret file, a long flat fret file, and then a recrowning file. Um, there's a lot of tools that you need and a lot of basic tools that are easy to get, like an X-Acto knife you can get just about anywhere. Um, so some of the tools you can get just about anywhere, but other tools are really specialty, like a, like a fret crowning file is not anything you're going to find at any hardware store anywhere. You have to basically order it online from somebody like Stuart McDonald or LMI, which is Luthier's Mercantile International or something like that. Um, there's also, uh, I, I don't know, there's 20 different places. I usually go through Mac, but people do complain that their prices are kind of high, but what are you going to do? Yeah. It's specialty stuff, and don't is skimp it out and buy. Stuff? It is quality. Good. Don't skimp out and buy some Chinese-made fret file on eBay because you'll just be disappointed. Well, there you go. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. All right. Next question. Hi, Eric. I have a new Martin D18. It was in Adirondack, New York, before I bought it. I have now had it for about a week. How long do you think I should let it adapt to the climate before I bring it in for a setup? The action is a little high. Thanks, Craig. Hmm. <laughs> it's new. It's a new Martin D18. And Craig is here in Seattle, I happen to know. Friend that. of yours? Yeah. Nice. Well, he's, I, I, know, I know about this question. Oh, okay. Uh, so it went from Adirondack, New York, to Seattle, and he wants to know how long he should let it adapt to the climate. Well, a new guitar is going to be more prone to climate change than an old guitar. Did I just say climate change? <laughs> Climactically, it's different. We're, I'm we're, not saying that global warming is affecting this guitar. <laughs> what I'm saying is, all right, what I'm saying, okay. Start over. So, basically, I wouldn't worry so much about it. You want to get it set up. Um, you've had it for a week, he says. I've had it now for about a week. How long should I let it adapt to the climate before I bring it in for a setup? Well, um, maybe you'd give it another week, but um, if you bring it in to me, and I think that he is because this is a question he sent to me, um, you can bring it in to me, I'll set it up, and any follow-up adjustment is free for three months. Wow. Yeah, so if I set it up for you and it still continues to settle a little bit over the next few months, bring it back. I will readjust it for free on the spot while you wait, if you can wait for it. Wow. Yeah. That is service. Isn't it? Impressive. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Craig. Hi, Eric. Awesome, awesome podcast. Yeah. Thanks. I agree. Yeah. It's the best. Rock well, on. it's actually... Not. So, I did want to mention... Oh. Fretboard Journal. Okay. Uh, was mentioned on uh, one of the last questions, and I want to really thank Fretboard Journal for getting behind this podcast. It's been such a huge help that I've looked at the download numbers, and they've doubled. I mean, we've got a lot more listeners, we're getting a lot more questions submitted, and it's the right kind of people, you know? I mean, people that are interested in guitars, right? Yeah. Yep. It's exactly, it's so perfect. It's such a perfect thing. So... Thank you so much to the Fretboard Journal and to Jason Verlindy over there 
And Jason Verlindy has an awesome podcast that if you don't already listen to, you should check it out. It's the Fretboard Journal podcast. You can get there just by going to fretboardjournal.com. The last episode of the Fretboard Journal podcast is a really interesting discussion about torification, where they basically bake guitar wood before they make the guitar, and it really seasons the wood and is really, it's it's more than just kiln dried, it's actually really heated up. I don't know, It's an in, it was really an interesting discussion, guitar, tone wood, torification. So check that out if you haven't already, and make sure to subscribe to the Fretboard Journal. It's a beautiful magazine printed on some of the finest paper you've ever seen, and it's a really top-notch, high-quality content. You will not be disappointed. So subscribe to the Fretboard Journal if you haven't already. Anyway, Melissa, continue All right. on with the question, please. All right. I am an amateur guitar repair guy that is considering going pro after retiring from my day gig because I love guitaring, too. <laughs> Been playing now for 35 years, and ever since I first started was just as interested in pulling guitars apart as I was playing them. Yeah, me too, man. You know, that's... I feel like that's just a character. I know. Like, just... You when just I was a kid, apart. the first electric guitar I got, I could not wait to tear it apart. I wanted to know how it worked. I couldn't figure it out. I looked at pickups and I thought, how on earth does that work? Well, I'm glad so, that you've figured you it out. You know how it works? How? Magnets. Wow. And magic. And maybe not magic. Yeah, but no. Magnets. Mostly magnets. Continue, please. Oh, uh, can't wait for your new podcast every month. They are the highlight of my morning drive. That is awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Also, your wife is a great addition. She is. Aww. She is great at addition. You guys. She's pretty good at subtraction, too. Shucks. Oh, thanks. Maybe in your next podcast, you could share your thoughts on the viability of amateurs going pro so late in the game to supplement a retirement income. Hmm. Thanks again from a big fan in the Philly area, Joe. Cool. Joe, thanks for the question. Um, Yeah, an amateur repair guy that's considering going pro after retiring from my day gig. That sounds pretty cool to me. Um, If you're kind of an amateur uh, repair guy that's been doing it a long time... um, you're probably pretty well uh, uh, prepared to go pro, I, I would assume. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess my advice to you would be don't get in over your head and uh, uh, educate yourself as much as you can. Buy a few books and brush up on the subject and uh, make sure you've got the right tools and make sure you've got uh, the right skills to to do it. And, and uh, yeah. Sounds awesome. Sounds like a good plan. Sounds like a good retirement. I know, doesn't it? I mean, you know, you'll need a shop space, right? And I'm assuming that Joe is going to do this out of his home. That's what I would probably do if I were retiring from some other deal. I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine. I've been doing this for professionally for 20 years, so I, I don't know. I can't even imagine. Here's the deal, Joe, and this is no reflection upon you or your work, because I'm sure you're great. I'm sure that you are absolutely a great repairman. But there are some repairmen out there who maybe aren't the best. And 
What can really screw up a guitar is if it gets in the wrong hands first. Some of the worst repairs I've ever had to do was undoing someone else's bad repair. But that's not that's not you, Joe. I'm sure that yeah, Joe is top. I'm just notch. saying, if you're a repair guy out there, don't get in over your head. You know, know your limits. Like, if you're really skeptical about a repair, or if you're if it's something you've never done before, and you're not too sure, but you just go ahead with it anyway, man, tread carefully. <laughs> You know, especially if it's a valuable guitar, especially if it's an old, valuable guitar, because you could be doing thousands and thousands of dollars worth of damage to that instrument. So please be mindful of that. But with that caveat, have a good time. Have fun. All right, Joe. Thanks. All right. Was that mean? That wasn't mean in any way, was it? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's a warning. It's 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 a good yeah thing to express, right? right? Let's not be cavalier about uh, getting in over our head with repairs that we're not sure about, right? Well, yeah, just don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. There you go. <laughs> All right, next question. Eric, I can't keep my tele switch tip to stay on. What is your trick to keep them from coming off? Gene. Thanks, Gene. Thanks, Gene. Um... You know what I do? I take a pair of uh, end cutters and or uh, uh, wire cutters work as well. And I will um, just just put enough pressure to you know without. So you take the switch tip off, and then that blade that's sticking up um, the the top of this the switch, just the blade from the switch. I take wire cutters or end cutters and I squeeze it just enough to put a few indentations in the edge of the blade so that when you put the tip back on there's some teeth on there now that will grab that tip um I've seen people like wrap tape around it it doesn't really work I mean I've seen people you know squirt a bunch of hot glue in there first and then put it on it is pretty sloppy just Put a little teeth in in that uh, switch tip, and it'll just bite just enough into the plastic of the of the of the plastic, you know, the actual tip that slides on, and uh, it'll keep it from coming off real nicely. Does that make sense? Totally. It's hard to, to explain. A, it's such a visual thing. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a picture of me crimping the switch tip just a little bit and post that as the picture for this episode very nice yeah all right yeah thanks for the question gene thanks hi eric i'm really enjoying the podcast just found it via the fretboard journal Hmm. i'm a fellow repairman out of marblehead massachusetts my question is a friend gave me his 56 silver tone dan electro u1 which is great yeah except he's very rough on his guitars Uh oh yeah that's not good the neck has a nasty crack under the fingerboard into the neck. Split headstock, poorly repaired. Mm. I've been contemplating repairing this properly and wondering about value. So, should I repair and play, or should I sell? Keep up the good work. Uh, I don't know, gosh. I mean, a poorly repaired Dan Electro neck is 
That's pretty rough, man. Considering the fact that you can probably buy a vintage neck for that for not that much money, a couple hundred bucks. It's almost it would almost be worth it to just look on eBay and buy a replacement neck. I mean, if that were an old Gibson or an old Fender that's worth ten, twenty, fifty thousand dollars, yeah, repair it, you know. But there's a dollar amount teeter totter that kind of it's like it's is it is the guitar or is the neck worth more than your time? Uh, you know, if you were to charge someone else to fix that neck, how much would you charge? Yeah, so I don't know. I would be tempted to try to find a new neck for it if you could find a neck for a reasonable price. Um, I see them all the time on eBay because I am always looking for Dan Electro necks. Um, and, you know, they're reasonable. So I think that that's probably what I would do uh, would be to get a new neck for it. And then at that point, you can keep it or sell it, but then it doesn't have a messed up neck. And what you can do is put the messed up neck on eBay because, holy cow, people love to buy broken guitar parts on ebay i have no idea why but if you put the word project in the title of your auction it's like it's like a little ebay feeding frenzy people are like oh i'm gonna get this cheap and fix it up so should we be buying unbroken things and breaking them and putting on eBay? yes okay no that's a new business venture we're getting into well i'm being sarcastic really i just it just seems like there's a few auctions i followed where it's like project broken guitar and i thought huh well, I might buy that because it's cheap. And then it goes crazy. Like, people spend way too much money on it. <laughs> on it. It's I'm going, why are you buying this broken guitar for that much money? So that was actually a sarcastic comment from me. All right. I was just joking. But okay. seriously, maybe buy a replacement neck for it. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. Okay. I need advice. I have a scalloped neck strat with jumbo frets. I love the way this feels. I also have a new Gretsch Electromatic center block. I love the sound, but I'm not crazy about the extra small frets. Mm. It was surprising to me that the strat was easier to bend despite being an inch longer. Can a Gretsch be refretted with larger frets to make it feel more like my scalloped neck strat and still work well? Thanks, Jay. Yeah. Yeah. Any guitar with small frets can be refretted with larger frets uh, if you prefer the feel of larger frets. And if you're going to do a lot of bending, like you mentioned, um, that the Strat was easier to bend. Small frets really are kind of hard to do a lot of bending on, um, but it's personal preference. I used to like really big frets, and now I kind of like smaller frets, so... I mean, tastes change, and it's kind of nice to have a few uh, different guitars. I have some with small frets, some with big frets. So, But, yes, you can refret it with larger frets, and it will feel more like your Strat. Not exactly, but uh, the only problem is it's going to be three or 400 bucks if you take it to a pro, which I'm not sure if that's worth it to you, but if it is, then do it. Cool. All right, thanks, Jane. Hi, Eric. Here's my question for you. I still, I, excuse me, I have had to move between cities and countries because of my job, which makes it hard to stick to just one guitar shop. 
Working on guitars is also a topic of trust, and from experience, mm-hmm. I know that there are many techs, that's in quotations, techs, out there that can maybe set up a guitar in an okay type of way, but are far from being experts in the field of guitar setup and repair. Can you suggest an approach for the average Joe customer like me, how I can check out if the guys know what they are doing without letting them work on my guitar first, such as questions I should ask, topics I should touch on, etc.? To make it short, how can I spot a good tech and tell apart the really good ones and the really bad ones? Mm. Thanks, Axel. That's a great question, Axel. You know, there's a few ways that I would recommend... um, if if you're in a new area or if you're just looking for a good tech, there's a few things to do. One would be very simply uh, ask your guitar f- playing friends and, and acquaintances who they take their gear to. And uh, if the same name keeps popping up amongst pros, then that's probably the guy to take it to. I mean, you want to take your guitar to the place where the pros go. I mean, I would guess... Um, another thing is take it to someone who uh, you've seen their work. You know, maybe it's somebody who makes guitars. Try out one of the guitars they've made. Try out one of the guitars they've put together, and it, does it feel amateurish, or does it feel like a nice guitar? If they know what they're doing, uh, then it should feel like a nice guitar, and that's probably, you know, if if he's making guitars, then... He surely knows how to set one up. Um, the other thing uh, to do would be, um, and I say this last because it's not my favorite, but uh, internet reviews, you know, s- see what other people are saying on the internet. The only problem with that is that you'll have a hundred happy customers and they don't post a happy review, but you get one unhappy customer in for some reason they they would would be the one that would be prone to well, to go post a negative review right the squeaky wheel yeah right? they're out to ruin your reputation right. right so check online reviews but take that with a grain of salt because even you know actually i don't i don't have any bad reviews online oh, not wow. the not, not the last i checked yeah impressive yeah there was one guy once that was unhappy with something and i and you killed I him i talked to him yeah killed him <laughs> i killed him no, I talked to him, and it's it's all fine. It was all good. It was just misunderstanding. But uh, here's another way. Stay away from somebody whose prices are too low and who has no turnaround time. That's a red flag, you know, especially in a town or a city where there's plenty of musicians and plenty of work. If a guy has real low prices and and a real short turnaround time, you might not want to go to him. I mean, he might be a good tech. I don't know, you know? But it could be a red flag. Usually a pro shop has professional rates. I mean, if you're going to take your guitar to a professional, expect to pay professional prices. Uh, You know, $50, $60, $70, $80 an hour is not out of line for... For a pro guitar repair tech, that's that's what you should expect to see, and a a pro shop should have a turnaround time. So so that might be another indication. But but you know, really ask around uh, and see who who the the real players are taking their guitars to. 
so you can't just walk into a shop and ask them a, like a magic question that will be like the hmm that's tough like do you know how to fix a broken headstock or <laughs> well i mean i don't know you you know you could ask them that but um they're just going to say yeah they're going to say yeah you bet bring it in i mean it's i when when i read your question initially i thought about taking in my car um because i'm not a i'm not a car mechanic so i thought about you know i go through the same process when i try to take my car somewhere to be repaired and what do i look for uh in a mechanic that you know is an indication that they're a pro and that they're not a scam artist you know I have a question for you. If somebody came in and asked you to show them an example of your repair, of your, you know, if you of your work, would would that be offensive, or would you have something no. to show them? Or I'm- no, it wouldn't be offensive. And I've had people do that before, um, and uh, it's not a bad idea to. Um, and I haven't done this yet, but I've. It's been on my mind because what I would like to do would be, um, I want to get a fingerboard a blank fingerboard, and fret it with a few different examples, like these three frets are large, these three frets are small. That's a great idea. Here, you know, half the neck has binding, so from here down, it has binding. On this side of the neck, it's binding with nibs. This side of the neck, it's binding where the fret overlaps the binding. I've been meaning to do that, but it's hard for me to make time to do something like that when I've got guitars that need to be done, man. I'm so busy, I it's so frustrating. Uh, it's not really frustrating. It's just, um, I don't have time to do that. But what I do have is examples of my work uh, in the shop in the form of the guitars I've made, pinup guitars. If you go to pinupcustomguitars.com, you can check out the guitars I make. They're kind of cool. I like them. What, can, uh, what's this guy's name, Axel? Yeah. Can can Axel go into a guitar shop and say, "Hey, can I can I play a guitar that you've set up? I mean, do you have any in the store that I and would that be a good indicator?" Maybe. Yeah. You know, um Yeah. Yeah, probably. You know, there's so many different situations. There are techs that work out of their house. There are techs that work out of a shop with guitars for sale. There's techs that work out of shops that don't have guitars for sale. They're just a tech shop. Yeah, I guess there that's are um, good point. there are music shops that you take your guitar and drop it off, and then the tech comes and picks it up and and fixes it, and then takes it back to the music shop, and you never even talk to him. And I don't know what um, it's 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 hard. It's uh, it's hard to say, but yeah, you know maybe start a dialogue with somebody and say, hey, you know, I'm sure you're a professional, but I've never had you work on my stuff, and I want you to, you know, tell me why I should take my stuff to you. I wouldn't be offended at all if somebody asked me that, because I could tell them, well, you know, I work on pro musicians' guitars. I, um, here are examples of my work. You can sit right here and play. Um, I have great reviews. Uh, you could ask any of my other customers if they like my work. You know, uh, I think that a, a reputable tech shouldn't have a problem proving that they have a good reputation. Cool. Yeah. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it's awesome. I'm glad that you have a good reputation. Thanks. You're bringing home the big bucks. <laughs> Not really, but <laughs> but that's okay. All right, next question. Hi, Eric. Love the show. Just curious to know if you have built a bass guitar. Is there a pinup bass in the future? Also, can you talk about guitar finishes and how they differ? Thanks again, and I think it's great having Melissa join the podcast. You guys are so nice. Thank you. <laughs> that is so sweet. I think it's great, too. It's fun. I mean... I'm glad you like it. When I first asked you, you were skeptical about doing it, saying, mm, I'm not sure I would like that. Sorry. Well, I, I've always, you know, I think everybody is have been embarrassed of their recorded voice. Yeah. And I always think I sound like I have a bubble in my throat, which I, it's just, but I do enjoy it because before when Eric was doing this podcast, I was in the bedroom trying to be quiet. Right. Read, reading Harry Potter or something. Yeah. Or knitting yeah. or something. Doing something equally doing geekish something or girlish. Be quiet in there. I'm recording a professional podcast in the other room. But now I get to just come out here and have I know. Now we get to hang out. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And it really helps the flow of the show because to have someone read the questions delineates what is a question and what's not. It's hard when it's just one guy. Right. And it's hard to talk for that long, too. Yeah. Try it sometime. Yeah. You just try just putting on a monologue for an hour, and you just see how it goes. <laughs> you know? It's rough. All right. Let's get back to this yeah, question. Yeah. So, so uh, have I ever built a bass guitar? Um, No. Oh, well, that's true. You I built a hillbilly bass. She is uh, giving me the universal sign for upright bass, which is, which is left hand in the air. And right hand plucking the string. <laughs> no, I built a weird hillbilly upright bass out of a soda crate and a, a an old salvaged pine beam from our shop yeah, that when we, when we remodeled. That's really nothing. That was really just a fun project. No, I've never really built a real bass. You have made a bass. Yeah, I guess so. But I've never really made... He's talking about a bait, like something you could right. really play. <laughs> uh... No, I've thought about it. I want to make a bass, but, you know, I probably will. I probably will make a pinup bass. Cool. Yeah, but I haven't yet. Well, thanks, you should. Thanks for asking. Also, he wants to know... Oh, guitar finishes and how they differ. Go. Wow. This is a hotly debated thing. Like the capacitors, like, like the different types of wood <clears throat> wood that they use in solid body guitars everybody has an opinion about this people seem people tend to think that nitrocellulose lacquer finishes sound better than polyurethane finishes and uh i don't know it's hard <laughs> it's it's just one factor in a guitar so it's hard for me to to say really with any definitive authority that all things being equal, a nitrocellulose finish is going to affect your tone in a positive way where polyurethane wouldn't. Um, I used to really think that nitro finish was absolutely without a doubt better as, you know, for tone, but I don't know anymore. It's so subjective. It really is. 
one of the reasons why is that I found out that Fullerplast, which is an undercoat that they used on a lot of vintage fenders, right, is polyurethane. Interesting. Yeah, so, and I think they started using that in the early, early 60s. So the guitar is still painted in nitrocellulose lacquer, but it has a plastic undercoat, basically. Nobody complains about the tone of those guitars. Yeah, that's interesting. So is it, yeah, is it the the paint that's thicker on the guitar? Yeah. Dictates the tone? Well, I think... In the acoustic guitar world, I think we could talk about uh, finish affecting tone. On electric guitars, I don't think it... I, I'm starting to really... I don't think it does. Wow. Poly, nitro, I don't think it does. However, I do like nitro because I think it looks better, and I like the way that it ages, uh, and uh, so it's an aesthetic thing. Uh, and maybe, you know... Generally, a lacquer finish is going to be a thinner finish, so it might let the wood resonate better than a than a polyurethane finish. I don't know. A polyurethane finish, <clears throat> polyurethane, it's basically like dipping your guitar in plastic. So that's maybe that's not good. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's really subjective, and I've I've tried to keep an open mind about it because I've played polyurethane guitars that I thought sounded great. You know, so I don't think it's a deal breaker either way, but the guitars that are traditionally thought of as having the best tone and the guitars that are traditionally worth the most money are all pretty much all of them painted in nitrocellulose lacquer. So that ends up being the default position for the best finish for tone. I don't know if it's necessarily always 100% true, but, you know, I, I mean, I, I can accept that, uh, that the nitro lacquer is, 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 I'm, well, here's the deal. They're, on a molecular level, they're different. Right. And the nitrocellulose lacquer really is like a, when it's really cured hard and dried, it's like a crystalline uh, surface. That's why if it gets hot or cold and then uh, heated, cold and then heated back up fast, that it cracks, you know, because the wood can shrink and expand, but the finish can't. And, you know, that probably affects tone, but I don't know. I, there's just so much more to it than that, that I just don't know how, how much it affects, how much it affects tone, but they do differ in the sense that they look different. And they wear differently. A polyurethane finish um, is so durable and and will will hold up a lot better over time. It won't generally it won't crack and check like lacquer will. There's also acrylic lacquer. I don't know. There's a ton of different finishes and yeah, we could do a whole show about that. Maybe I should have a paint guy on. That would be fun. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be great. Actually, Yeah. Okay. Anyway, thanks for your question. Hey, Eric. This is a question for your podcast. Great show, by the way. 
What is your advice on fret leveling and crowning for someone starting out? And secondly, do you hammer your frets in or press them and why? Hmm. Cheers, Jonathan. Thanks for the question, Jonathan. Well, um, my advice for someone just starting out with fret leveling and crowning is to start on a cheap guitar. If the reason that you want to get into it is because you have a guitar that needs service and you like that guitar, you might want to practice on something that you don't care about first. Cheap guitars are plentiful and cheap. <laughs> yeah. Start on a cheap guitar. Um, get yourself uh, a few tools, a, f- uh, a few fret files, and uh, try, you know on a cheap guitar that you don't care about first. And a lot like the question that I answered earlier in, in, in the podcast, there's a, a book that I would recommend, Dan Erlewine's Guitar Player Repair Guide. It's maybe 20, 30 bucks uh, on Amazon. That's a great book that covers, you know, it, it covers a lot more than what you're asking, but that's a great place to learn about, uh, for a beginner, about fretwork. So, do you hammer your frets in or press them? Um, I've done both. I usually hammer them in because I'm just old school that way. It it definitely takes more finesse to hammer them in. It's a little more time-consuming and a little more... Um, it's the old school way to do it. Fret presses. Uh, I've, I've done both. The... The drawback of pressing them in is that you have to buy the special fret press, which costs more money. Um, And uh, the drawback for hammering them in is that you really need more skill. And it's a skill I've honed for years and years and years, so I like to use it, and I like tapping in frets. So I generally tap them in. Cool. Yeah. Okay, last question here. Hi, Eric. I have a dual humbucker Gibson Les Paul guitar. The pickups are stock, and they have the old-school braided cable single conductor shielded wire. Say that five times. (laughs) The neck pickup has slightly more hum than the bridge pickup, and I can't figure out why. Hmm. I asked my local tech, and he said it's probably because the wire to the pickup from the cavity is longer because it is farther away. Wait, both humbuckers? Both? Let's see. I have a dual humbucker. Yeah, okay. Two humbuckers, and the neck pickup has slightly more hum. Hmm. Anyway, continue. Uh, I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me. If two inches of shielded cable introduces that much hum, then my 15-foot instrument cable should be introducing way more hum than that. Why would one humbucker hum just a little more than another? Thanks, Eddie. Why would one humbucker hum just a little more than another? She sells seashells by the seashore. Uh, Eddie, thanks for submitting a question. So... The only thing I can think of, um, you know, a humbucker works because there are two coils that are um, very close to being the same, and they're um, reverse wound and reverse polarity so that uh, they cancel hum. 
if the coils are imbalanced, so let's say you have one coil is 3,000 ohms and the other coil is 3,500 ohms, 3.5K ohms, then uh, it's not as effective in canceling out hum. So, And that happens. I've seen it before, absolutely, from just stock pickups. You can get a pickup that has imbalanced coils, uh, and uh, if it does, then it will hum just a little more than a humbucker that has perfectly matched coils. Fascinating. Isn't it? So do you just have to buy another pickup, or do you get a no. re-round, or what do you... No, it, it's fine. Just deal with it? It's still canceling out most of the hum. It's just a, a slightly bit noisier than... Isn't that what he said here? One pickup is slightly... Yeah, the neck pickup has slightly more hum than the bridge pickup. Yeah. Yeah, plus it has a longer lead, but it's a shielded lead, so... Yeah. I mean, it's pretty typical to have one humbucker that hums just a little more than the other, because we don't live in a perfect world, you know? There's things that going on uh, that... um, that affect that one is like I mentioned the the coils have to be exact exactly matched if they're not they don't cancel out all the hum that's probably that's that's probably my guess as to what's going on does he did he say it is it four conductor cable or is it two conductor uh, it's the old, old school, school single conductor shielded wire yeah so because uh, if you had four conductor you could actually put an ohm meter on there and test the two coils pretty easily. Um, but with a single conductor, you'd have to take the pickup apart to find out, and you don't really want to do that. You could, but that's, you know, pick, pickup surgery. It, it really is. If it's something that really drives you crazy, Eddie, um, you could try, well, gosh, I was going to say shielding the cavity, but it doesn't make sense to shield the cavity of a Les Paul uh, neck pickup because that pickup is so well shielded. It's encased in metal. Well, I'm assuming it is. Does he mention whether they have covers or not? Oh, if they I have, don't co- think if so. they have covers, that might be another thing. So let's. So maybe your neck pickup doesn't have a cover, and your bridge pickup does have a cover. That could be the discrepancy right there. I don't know. I don't know. I'd need more information. But um, just off the top of my head from hearing your question, my guess is that the neck pickup has slightly imbalanced coils. That's my guess. But I'd need to investigate further to know. Very good. Thank you, everyone, for submitting questions. I really appreciate it. Uh, You can, uh, of course, visit fretfiles.com. That's the easy way to find me. You can subscribe on iTunes. And uh, you can go to ericdaw.com to submit questions, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Or you can call me, leave a voicemail at 757-774-8482. And uh, I'll use your question or comment as part of the show. You can also text that number if you'd like, 757-774-8482. Eight two. Thanks so much, everybody, for participating. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with a call. 
podcast is sponsored by Emerald City Guitars. Emerald City Guitars is the Northwest's premier vintage guitar store. In fact, it's uh, one of the world's most well-known guitar stores. We specialize in vintage gear. I say we because, hey, I work there. I'm the repair specialist. I've been there for uh, 13 years now, and uh, I do all the all the customer uh, repairs and all of the... Um, a lot of the restorations that happen on a lot of the gear that's that's uh, for sale there. You should check out Emerald City Guitars' website if you haven't. EmeraldCityGuitars.com. You will be astounded at the inventory. It is, it's really amazing, and I'm I'm blessed to work there. It's an awesome store. Uh, you should check it out. So, Emerald City Guitars, check it out. You know, I have so many good interviews that I want to do, and I, I, I apologize. It's just, uh, it's just due to lack of time that I haven't got any interview for you this month. But we had plenty of questions, so it filled out the show quite nicely. And uh, I have no complaints about that. It's awesome. Keep the questions coming. Um, but I will have an, an interview for you soon, I promise. I've got three or four lined up that I really want to do that I'm really excited about. Uh, really going to be some good interviews. So, right now, let's take a. Uh, I got one call submitted this month, so let's take a call. Hey, Eric. Um, hope all is well with you and the family. Um, enjoying your show. But my question is more of a philosophical one, not and less technical. Um, what is your line? Like, what's the line you don't cross? What is the instrument you won't touch? or repair you won't do, um, when is something too far gone, or when is something best left as is? All right, that's it. Well, that's a great question. I uh, uh, I, I think about this sometimes because, um, you know, occasionally I do get guitars brought to me that uh, I, won't, I won't do, that I won't touch, and sometimes it's because it's a repair that's not worth it, and sometimes it's because it's a repair that I'm not willing to do. And there are specialists who I can refer people to uh, if it's something that I just don't do, like, a, I don't know, gosh, like, well, like refinishing. I, I won't refinish uh, a guitar most of the time. Painting is really a difficult thing to do in, unless you're really set up with a, with a pro painting setup. Um, I paint the guitars that I put together but that's a that's a, a very different thing than taking your you know already painted guitar stripping the finish off and repainting it and it's just not something I even want to get into so I don't refinish guitars I don't do um I try not to do all of the uh oh the, all the fretted instruments like um banjos and uh i i just don't really go into that um i'm so busy with guitars that i don't want to do things like banjos um maybe if i weren't so busy i would do it i know a little about banjos i i don't know as much as i do about guitars and there really is you know a big difference i mean there's really 
there are things that are very unique to a banjo that don't always necessarily cross over. So it's, that's not my expertise. So there's a few things like that that just aren't my expertise that I would rather see the work go to someone else. Um, but there's plenty that I will do. My gosh. Uh, I'm sure busy doing a lot of stuff. Sometimes a neck reset. Um, I've, I do neck resets, but if it's something that I've never, um, done before or something that's a little weird, then I'll, I'll refer that to somebody else. But I do your run of the mill neck reset, um, on an acoustic guitar. Um, specifically I'm thinking of, uh, like I get a lot of people that bring me seventies, uh, uh, Yamaha acoustic guitars and they quite often will need a neck reset. Well, those guitars aren't constructed the way that's the same way that American guitars were constructed. I, I think that those necks are doweled on where an American vintage American guitar would have a dovetail neck joint that you could disassemble, fix and reassemble on the Yamaha and the Asian stuff, when they need a neck reset, I won't do those. Um, so there's a lot of there's there's a lot of lines that I won't cross. But sometimes it varies from guitar to guitar too. If a guitar is such a basket case that uh, the work is going to exceed the value of the guitar, a lot of times I'll turn that down unless it's like a family heirloom guitar or something like that, just because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to put, I don't know, $800 worth of repair into a $200 guitar. And so I'll explain that, you know, quite often to people, well, here's what it needs, and here's what that would cost, but here's what the guitar's worth. So, you know, I think we can all agree that we should not do this. <laughs> so, yeah, it it does vary from guitar to guitar, though. Like, for example, I just uh, had somebody bring in an old Gretsch that the br- the binding is crumbling on. And that's pretty common on old Gretsch guitars. The, they have binding issues, and uh, it's just not something that I, I want to do. I don't want to replace all the binding on those. Um, I think they're better left alone. Uh... Plus, it would really be a big job to take all the binding off, you know, binding on the neck, binding around the peg head, binding on the body. It's all crumbling and uh, deteriorating. Taking that all off and rebinding it is going to be a big, time-consuming, expensive job. And so um, there are guys out there that would do it and that would do a great job, but I turned that repair down. Just didn't want to get into it. Um, maybe if I weren't so busy, I, I would do it. It's something that could be done, absolutely. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was a great question. Thank you so much for submitting it. And thanks to everyone who submitted questions. Uh, we'll be back next month with more questions and probably an interview. And, uh, I don't want to tell you who yet because I have not, uh... (laughs) I haven't landed it yet, but you know, no, I've got I've got three or four really good interviews that are coming up that I think you're going to enjoy. So, thanks for listening. Thank you to Michael Van Dieven over at ufoship.com. 
that's uh, a little podcast network he's got going on over there, and uh, we're proud to be featured over there. Thank you so much, the Fretboard Journal, and uh, also our sister podcast over there, the Fretboard Journal podcast. Jason Verlindi has been very nice in in uh, putting a little bit of the Fretboard Journal steam behind our podcast, and we really appreciate that. And thank thank you, of course, to my wife, Melissa for joining me here on the podcast and don't forget to send in those questions and comments I'll use them as part of the show thanks so much see you next month